Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. All right, so we're going to one, two, and three, John. Here we go. Um, if you want to turn your Bibles there, or click to it. First, John is where I'll spend kind of most of the time, but first, second, and third, they kind of all uh, kind of work together. Um, I'm going to read you, as you go there, I'm going to read you something from the Christmas um, story in Luke. And I'm going to lay up something here. And it's really important as, as we do this so you understand the context of John. Okay, So as you turn to first, second, and third, John, just mark your spot there. I'm going to read this from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, as we get started this morning. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census would be taken of all the inhabited earth. And you would understand what they mean by that is in their known time, uh, they would not have had the understanding of the global presence that we do. They, they were very wise people. I, I think in some ways, I think they're much smarter than we are. We have Google. They had, knew how to chart the world by stars. You understand? I'm not about astrology. I'm talking about they actually knew how to chart the earth by stars. They weren't confused by the earth. Was it sphere or flat? They knew it was a sphere. They, they were very smart people. But all the inhabited earth would have been the region of Rome. That's what they were being referred to. The, the modern world at that time was Rome. Um, but this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. You had to go back to your own town to register where you were born from. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and of the family of David. And in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So understand, if you've never heard the story of the, the Christmas story, Mary was approached by an angel. She was a virgin. But she was, when the Bible talks about engagement, it's not like us. The engagement process that they went through was a sealed deal. If you said, I want to marry that girl, and you said yes, and she said yes, and the daddy said yeah, and the mama said yeah, and everybody said yeah. I mean, it was like a whole package. You had to get everybody's on board. They're going to find out if you any good or not. I mean, you just can't come in there looking all cute with your hair cut and be like, hey, man, y'all trendy GQ looking with your stuff pressed and all. Oh, he fine. Yeah, he fine, mama. I got to marry him. That ain't the way it worked. You had to prove yourself. You had to prove you, first of all, had some kind of path in life. You had to show that you were really sincere. And so when you said, I do, and you engaged, it was as if you were married without the benefits. You know what I mean by that? You got what I'm saying? I think all the kids are out, but you know what I mean, right? You was married without any of the benefits. So that means you are off the market. And Joseph is, is connected to this lady, Mary, who has now been given this gift by God, Jesus Christ, as a virgin. She has not... Been with Joseph. And so Joseph now is seeing her and all this stuff is going on. And he makes the decision to stay with her based on a word from God through an angel. But he stays with her because that's the kind of guy he was. He knows what's going to be said about him. Different culture, totally different. You have to understand the culture and the time they were in. She was shamed. He was shamed. They made fun of them. But he did it anyway. He believed in her enough that she was who she was. He thought about leaving her, but he'd put it aside. And being the good man that he was, he stuck it out and he made it happen. And so when it talks about this, that he was of the family of David, this guy is of the lineage of King David. 
the lineage of which Christ is supposed to be born out of. But understand, Joseph was not Jesus' dad. The Bible says Jesus was born of Mary, a virgin. She was overshadowed by the Holy, Holy Spirit. He miraculously caused Jesus to be uh, conceived in her room. It's just the most amazing thing. But the reason I say that is because if you've never heard this story before, understand the difference between Christianity and every other religion is this. Every other religion takes the seed of man and says, follow this and you'll be right. Christianity is the only religion that says, take the seed of God and follow him. It's the difference between every other religion. Everybody has man-made rules. Everybody, even Christianity. But the difference is, Christianity says God himself came and was born and died for you. Everybody else says they came through every other method. Natural childbirth, regular dude, regular girl, they had kids, follow me. That's the biggest difference between the two. And he says, now as he's saying this, he was at the house of the family day, verse 5, in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give her birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in the cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the thing about why I'm laying this up before we get into first, second, third John is Joseph and Mary both raised Jesus. Mary gave birth to Jesus, but Joseph fathered him in a sense. He would be the equivalent of what we call today a stepfather. He stepped in and did the best he could and gave him a trade, skills, shown him things. If you don't believe that, the Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He was not, yes, he was divine, but he had to learn. He had to, but he was, he's as much the son of God as he is the son of man. It's important to know that. And so Joseph and Mary both, they raised him. And Joseph gave this illustration of what family looks like. Family is when we all know our shortcomings as family. If you talk to Haley long enough, she'll tell you, I got shortcomings. You talk to my grandma, my, anybody in my family, anybody's close, they would tell you, yeah, I, I could tell you some stuff. I don't know. If you're close to people long enough, family, you, man, like, you know what? Leaving the toothpaste top off stuff, like little things are leaving the cupboard open, whatever. You, we all do weird stuff, right? Right? You ain't immune to like, leaving the top off the toothpaste. Is there something wrong with that? Yeah, something wrong with it. You crazy? Put the top on it. That's gross. Yeah, like, oh, I didn't know there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, cause you're weird, man. Everybody else is going around your stuff. Put the top on the toothpaste. But closing the cupboards, you know, leave, whatever. We all do weird stuff. The closer you are, the more the shortcomings you see. And in family, you have to work out all these kind of different things. And I started because as a family, you communicate differently with family than you do with uh, friends. All of you, in one sense or another, are my friends, but not all of you are technically in my biological family. We talk differently as family. Now, we are all a part of the family of God. If you're a Christian, you're a fa- part of the family of God. And here's some things I want you to hear as we go forward. What are terms that we use in family? Now, you may not say exactly in this way, but you do use these words occasionally. You may say mom or dad, mama, daddy, whatever. But we use the words mother, father, sister, brother, son, daughter, whatever. Right? Those are family, familiar names, right? Think about what we say in church. As the family of God, what do we say? It's very common. We say this, we don't even think about it sometimes. We think it's uh, just something we grew up with. But no, hey, brother, how you doing, man? Why do you say that? Well, it's just Southern. No, it's not. 
It's family of God stuff. Hey, sister, how you doing? Because you're my sister. That's why the Bible tells those of us who are older in the faith, men, treat the girls that are younger as daughters or as sisters. Because you ain't going to look at your sister weird. At least you shouldn't. You shouldn't. If it's your sister, what are you going to do? You see somebody mess with your sister, what do you do, guys? It don't matter, it don't matter how many times she cut your hair in the middle of the night and left you hanging. It don't matter if she put makeup on your eyelids in the middle of the night and let you paint your face. It don't matter what she did, you drove you crazy. You're like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill her when I get home. That's the way you felt. You let one person mess with your sister, what do you do? Man, I will kill you. Like, isn't it funny how you do that, right? Somebody mess with your babies. Watch your mama. Mama can be all sweet. Y'all think Haley's sweet. She walked in with a halo today. Like, she's just like, hey, how you doing? Like, I love Jesus. She's sweet. Mess with my kids. If I don't get you before she does, she'll get you first, man. She's crazy. She'll cut you, kill you, leave you for dead, run over you twice, back up on you. I mean, mamas are crazy. Mess with their babies. Now, they'll watch somebody else from a distance, and she's done this before. People down the street, and I'm like, you know, I'll see something go down. It's not like, you know, physical or anything. People getting wrong. I'll be like, hey, man, hey. Hey, bud, hey. Y'all all right? Jody, why you get involved with that? Now, if somebody messes with my kid, you get on mama bear on them. Somebody else, you're like, let's think about it for a minute. We want to calculate. Because you treat family different than you do friends. I said all that because when you read the story of the Christmas story of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, families treated different than friends. They protected Jesus. They looked up. They took up for Jesus. Even when they lost him, you know, they freaked out. They went back and looked. You know, could you hear it in my ears? Probably blaming. Hey, it's your fault, Joe. You're supposed to watch. All your job was, Joe, to watch the boy. That's it. Now I'm supposed to tell the Lord we've lost his only son. You know? They, they looked out for him. These words are reserved for family. So I say this because we're now we're going to get to John. John used words that no other disciple used. If Peter was, I say like, if Peter had the charge of the Lord for the church, then John had the heart of God. You know? And it makes, I don't like John a whole lot. I, he's a good guy, but he makes me a little nauseous sometimes. I read his stuff and it sounds like something off a Hallmark card. Dude, are you seriously, you love people that much? Can you really just forgive them? That, I mean, there's nothing in you that says, I just want to punch him. Nothing. John's just like, he just seems like he's got it all together. I like Peter better. You know, he says something and then he'll say, I'm sorry. That's more like my style, you know? I, but Peter would have charged the church. Then John would have said, listen. Here's the heart of the church, and it's the area of love. He taught more about family. He understood it more probably than any other disciple. And I say that because I want to clear up a couple of things on John as we read. So when you read John, you know, first of all, who John wrote to. So who John wrote to. When you read the words of First, Second, and Third John, you cannot overlook the family discussions. He uses these words over and over, and I'll show you in a minute how many different times it's used, but family terms, mother, sister, brother, all these different things over and over and over again. But the context of his writing in, in, in 1 John, 2 John, 3, is written to believers. It's written to the church. And I'm saying this because if you've heard this, it says come up, it, it doesn't really, it's not really been said now as much, but about 10 years ago or so less, uh, there was this whole idea that somehow John, the, God, the first thing and third John, it was not written to the church. Like it was written to unbelievers. And the problem with that is, first of all, it's not true. 
That's the first problem with it. That should be enough. But when people twist things and make it sound a certain way, anything can be believed. It just can. I mean, it's the reality. John is not writing to unbelievers. And then the idea was like when someone, different people asked me, no, you just don't understand. He's not writing to believers. And the idea was because it was creating a sin consciousness in people. And the old adage was taken from 1 John 1 9. That, you know, if we sin, we have an advocate, we can go before him. He's just and faithful to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And the idea was, well, it creates a sin consciousness if you have to go before the Lord and ask for forgiveness of all your sins. And so my thought was family. Do your kids line up every day and tell you I'm sorry for all the stuff they do? <laughs> Look at our house, that ain't the way it works. Do I line up and tell my kids I'm sorry every time I do something wrong to them? No. I mean, we apologized maybe once in the last month to my oldest just the other day. We put them all in a group together, grouped them all and said, okay, all three of y'all did this. And we realized, nope, the older one didn't. Oh, she just got blamed because, you know, once you're outnumbered, you start blaming everybody. You don't know. Because nobody has shown up so many times in our house. We don't, nobody knows what happened. It's nobody. No, he's always there. She, and so we had to say, okay, you know, we're sorry. We kind of, hey, listen, I think we overdid it here. So we said, hey, baby, we're sorry. You know, and it just made her smile. She thought, that's so cool. Y'all were wrong. She didn't say it, but I know that's what she was thinking. But family, you don't spend all your day apologizing. I don't. When I know I've done something, or my wife tells me, or my kid, then I say, you know what? Yeah, I, hey, I didn't. That was not what I meant. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. But the idea that it creates a sin consciousness, or this idea that it creates this uh, condemnation, I don't see it that way. I see it as family. I thank God that First John 1 9 is in there. Because he is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. If I ever make a mistake, which I'm going to do, if I sin, will he forgive me? Thank God it's in there. When I first started you know, serving Jesus, I used that verse of scripture every day. I thank God for Lord, you know, you know. I just blew it today. Thank God you forgive me. I was so glad for that verse. Because before I thought, man, I'm going to hell. I didn't have anything with this. And I thought, hey, you know, you said, you said you'd forgive me. I know I'm a bozo here, but you said you'd forgive me. I felt like I had one up on God there. Like, hey, you said it, not me. I'm just going, hey, you, you know, you said it. I don't believe it produces a sin consciousness. And if you read First John 1, 2, and 3, he makes this point very clear. And you don't have to change the context of the verse. You don't have to change anything. Um, uh that Jesus said something very interesting. He said, in seeing they cannot see, and hearing they cannot hear. Um, John, writing to unbelievers, they would not be able to decipher spiritually what he was saying anyway. He wrote to the church. First John was to the church. Second John, to, an el- to, a, to a leader. And Paul call- I mean, John calls himself an elder. He wrote to a church leader. And third John, he writes to another church leader. I think both of them are the same guy. But nonetheless, what do you do if you write a letter? Every other letter we get in this Bible that's written to a leader. What was the intent for the leader to do with that writing? To share with the church. It was never intended to hold just to one person. Why would God in his wisdom give us a book of the Bible and say, well, no, 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 no. That was for these people, not for you. It goes against everything else you see in scripture concerning the forgiveness of 
and mercy of God in sin. So John wrote, first of all, to the church. Now I've got a little book here. I'm going to read something to you. I came across this some 20, man, I don't know, probably 20 years ago I found this book. And uh, you, you won't find much about this guy. It's uh, Mr. and Mrs. S.A. Danford. It, it's actually from the Methodist background. I thought it was a holiness, because uh, uh, um, the writing says holiness Bible readings. I thought it was a uh, from the holiness church, but it's not. I finally figured, found the guy is from a Methodist writing. And if you know anything about Wesley and the old, uh, from a Methodist background, anything about John Wesley and the thing about Wesley, his fire, his, this guy was no joke. Like, this wasn't some guy just sitting around having a Sunday school meeting. Wesley was no joke. He believed strongly in the power of God, his spirit, his word. And, 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 and these writings come from a lot of these, infer- a lot of these different things that, you know, he established. But this is some writings. Listen to this. This is around that of 1 John. Okay. He says, these are some things that we teach. We teach, now these are some old school. This is from 1902. So you're going to have to listen. Pay attention to some words here. I'm not going to try to, Walk around them. He says, this is what we teach. We teach that every regenerate man does not commit sin. That's an interesting word, isn't it? He said, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. That's 1 John 3, 9. But he that does commit sin is of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. We teach that every Christian may love God perfectly and is commanded to do so. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. We teach that we cannot love God with all the heart while there is any pride, anger, malice, or any other form of sin in the heart. All these are contrary to the nature of love. Hence, where these exist, love to God cannot be perfect. We teach that God has the power and the willingness to take these evil affections out of the heart so that our love may be perfect. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. We teach that the Holy Spirit comes into the heart, thus cleanse and fills him with himself, be filled with the Spirit. We teach that the heart, thus cleansed and filled, will grow in all the graces of the Spirit better than ever. Because sin, the great hindrance to the growth in grace, has been removed. All this, remember, is not absolute perfection, but simply Christian perfection or perfect love. Paul says, now the end of the commandment is love, out of a pure heart. This is the end, and this is the end, there can be nothing beyond the end. Who can make any objection to perfect love? People usually have to misrepresent us and our position before they attack. Now that sounds like he's saying, holy smokes, this guy thinks you can't sin. He thinks, man, if you become a Christian, you're just never going to mess up. How many people know if you're a Christian, that ain't so? We all fall short. But what he is saying is, as a believer, you should know. That you have been redeemed by the Spirit of God through Jesus Christ. And that now living on the inside of you is the power to walk as a family member of God. And there is none of this wishy-washy back and forth stuff that am I in or am I out because I made a mistake. If I'm a believer, if he redeemed me, if he saved me and died for me, I'm in the family. Do I fall short? Of course I do. So then he says, here's the, here's the elevator, here's where you are. But then he says, so this is what we do not teach. As there is some misunderstanding as to what we teach, we wish to call the attention of candid, sober-minded people to the true doctrine of holiness as we understand it. What he means is, let's just make it make sense, right? We do not teach that we can ever get to the place where we cannot be tempted. If we were never tempted, we should get beyond the experience of Jesus Christ. 
who was tempted in all points as we, and who suffered being tempted. We do not teach that we cannot sin. We shall always be liable to sin. Therefore, John says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But because we are liable to sin, we're not compelled to commit it. So he's saying, we're te- they teach holiness and righteousness in this movement they had. And the idea was like, hey, listen, as a Christian, man, you have been redeemed. And you are made in the image and likeness of God now because of the rebirth of the Spirit. But he also says, we understand this thing to be true. If Jesus was tempted, hello, you're going to be tempted too. Right? Now, Jesus was sinless, but we all know we are not. So if you blow it, if you make a mistake, he says, here's why John said this. If anybody sins, we have an advocate. Man, listen. That right there might be the best Christmas news you ever get. Because when you make a mistake, or you sin, or you fall short, which we all do, I can go before my Father and say, Lord, I thank you Jesus is standing right there beside you, interceding for me right now. And I made a mistake, and I blew it. But I thank you, Lord, that you forgive me, and you cleanse me of all. I don't sit there and do penance all day long. I don't feel guilty and shame for weeks and months on end. Hey, man, I blew it. I just thank you that you forgive me and you've cleansed me of all unrighteousness. But the thing from there is you got to pick yourself up and say, I'm righteous. I made a mistake, I'm, but I'm righteous. Well, I could never say that. Well, now then that's because you believe more in the power of the sin than you do of the forgiveness and the righteousness of God. And the only reason you believe that is because you don't take enough time to hear what Jesus says about you and what he gave you. But I'm telling you, if you're a believer, you're righteous. I don't feel righteous. Well, I know. Feelings come and go. You get in a church service, you know, when the music just right and the song, it's your favorite song. It's the one that you just, every time it plays, you get goosebumps. Oh, now I feel, I feel Jesus in the room. You just, I mean, you don't even dance, but all of a sudden you're like, you feel it. And then, and then two weeks later, they play a song that you don't know, whatever, you're just like, man, I just, I don't feel like I'm even close to God. That's feelings. You can't live by that. You gotta live by what he said. So who'd John write to? He wrote to the church. To the church, he said, listen. You have an advocate. You don't live on failures and mistakes that you did today, last week, last year, last month, 20 years ago. You live on the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But don't get into the point where you think, we don't need an advocate. I need an advocate. Believe me, I need an advocate. So what did John write? So we know who he wrote to. Now it's important to know what did John write. This is important because as far as family, I want you to see this. And I, I, I think we're going we're gonna to put it on the screen for you all of it at one time. I think we can do this. Oh, let me show you this. Okay. As far as the word John, this is down here. If you can see in the bottom. Move this so you can see maybe where the chair is. There you go. That's Patmos. Island of Patmos there, right? That's where the chair is. That's where John was stationed. And look at all these places. These are the churches, if you will. Most of them are written. You know, Revelation writes a lot of this stuff. But these are some of the established churches in Asia where he's writing. John gets his letter out. This is not some, people think the church is some little, you know, I don't know, minor thing, like whatever. This is a major deal. You can't write something and get it off of an island to all these places, do the thing you're doing, unless you are organized and have some kind of backing behind you. But this is where he was and what he's writing to. So let me show you this timeline real quick, and then uh, we'll go from there. So when John kind of wrote his, his writings here, 
You'll see here's Jesus raised from the dead, A.D. 31, going all the way across. John writes his letters around 85 and 95, somewhere in there. And then there's the persecution of the church here. But 85, 95, John writes his letters towards the end of his life. And I say that because he's had the time now. He is a, a man who has been persecuted. He's been through a lot of stuff, but he writes these letters at the end of his life. Why is that important? Because if you're going to write something of the utmost important, you're going to leave it towards the end of your life. This is not someone who was just getting started in his faith. He knew what he was talking about. He was with Jesus. His writings are not that of a commentary. This man was with your Lord. I think it's important to hear what he has to say. So, what John wrote, let me just throw this up here for you, if we can do this, guys. I think, do we have all the scriptures at one point, um, those highlighted, can you put those up or no? No, okay. I didn't know if it would do it or not. So let me just, let me just read this to you. He'll, he'll put them up as I'm reading, okay? So look at how many times children, fathers, um, young men, fathers, young men are on these verses. And then watch what John says. All right, so First John uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. We'll start with verse 12. He said, I'm writing to you little children. Why am I writing to you little children? Because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Watch what he's saying. I'm writing to you, and here's why. Here's what I'm giving you. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men. So he's not just writing. The Bible's not for just this age bracket or this age. No, it's for everybody. He said, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children. Because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This was a writing to a family. You know, this is the kind of stuff you tell your family. You teach them. You give them the stuff. I tell my girls all the time. Some guy calls you. He wants to go. You better tell him before he ever comes to my house. First and foremost, number one, is this boy even on a pathway to anything? You know, is he stuck in the metasphere or whatever it's called now? Me and my buddy, my small group, we was cracking up, man. Somebody, they says, someone just paid over $600,000 for a virtual yacht on the metasphere. I said that, that's the truth. They all like, what is a metasphere? It's virtual fake world. People buying stuff on there. A fake boat. Like, it's not even floating. It doesn't exist. It's on pa- I don't even know if it's on paper. It's a picture. It's a pixel. I could text it to you if you wanted to see it. $650,000. Now, first of all, if the boy calls and he can pay for it, then okay, we can talk. <laughs> but if you're at Yahoo thinks he's going to, like, he's living in virtual land. He's bought him a house in the virtual world, but it ain't real. No, 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 no. We got to have some real stuff here. We're not living in the metaverse. Does the boy have a plan? Does he, is he, you know, the same way, guys. I mean, if you got sons, a girl comes around, same thing. Has she got any thought about where she's going in life? Don't let your boy go out with her. Why would you let him go out with somebody that has no inspiration in life whatsoever? Why am I that causing them's my babies? I love them. 
I'm not going to let them go and get involved with people that I can see. No, no. Mm -mm. We're going to play this game just like Joseph did. No, we'll sit y'all down, sit you down. Let's see. Let's see. Let's get grandmama in, get mama in, get daddy in, get the mom-in-law, the dad-in-law. We'll get the whole community in line. This joker, I'm going to find out. That's why. It's family. You talk to family different. You see other people do stuff with their life, you might think, well, I mean, that's their choice. When it's your kids, you do your best to help guide and lead them in the best possible way. Now, they've got to make their own choices. But this was written to the church. And what John wrote, he said, listen, man, I'm writing this to you so you understand. In 1 John 1, 9, listen again. If we confess our sins, he gave you all this up front. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And he says this. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. My little children. You don't talk to people outside of the family calling them little children. I don't, I don't, I call my girls babies now. They probably get tired after a while. I don't know, but they'll always be my babies. But I don't go around calling your kids babies. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I may be sweet like they're little, hey, baby girl, how you doing? But I don't. It's a term of endearment to your children that you speak. It's different than other people's kids. He says, my dear children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. And he himself is the propitiation, that means the substitute, or the payment for our sins. And watch this. If you'll know who he's writing to and what he's writing, he just cleared it up. And he's the propitiation for our sins. You don't have to be theologically correct here. Just understand the sentence structure. Our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Two groups of people. Family. Proverbs says it like this. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. This is why um, we're told this. Man, if you want to be healed, confess your faults to one another. If you have no one that knows anything about you, you're on your own. Um, if you want to be healed, the Bible says confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. No reason to hold things in. I keep it. And I'm not talking about deep, dark, dungeon of sins like, ooh, creepy people. I ain't talking about that. I'm just talking about like real stuff like, man, I just don't understand why, blah, blah, blah. I, you got you to gotta deal with that kind of stuff. You can't just hold this stuff in, especially after this last year. Man, everybody's on edge, man. Just chill out. Have some eggnog. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not advocating you put anything in it, but some people might need a little something. I don't know. So let me give you the last thing. Why did John write it? We know he's writing to his family, the church, to you. We know what he's writing. He's writing for you to understand this very thing, that your family, and he wants you to know, man, listen, you know Christ, and you've been forgiven, and you know who he is, and you have overcome the evil one. He know, This is what he's writing. But now he's, why would John write this? It's because in his time, there were a group of people that created this false doctrine. And it's kind of like, you know, you ever heard of this term, uh, secession, uh, in Texas, right? Where they can secede from the union. I think, think they're the only state in the whole, they're very proud of this too, Texans. Uh, well, they're proud of everything, but uh, they, they're even proud of the Cowboys when they lose. You know, with us and the Falcons, we're like, oh, give me a break. They don't care. They will, they will love their Cowboys, at, 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 you know, and not win a game. They don't, they're proud of everything in Texas. And I have to admit, their, their brisket's very good. I think they got something there that, that we don't have. But in Texas, they have this thing that I've heard that, that 
I've never checked, but I've, they all talk about it. They have it on their bumper stickers even in Texas. It says, secede. Like, they're literally serious about it. I think if they could make it happen, they would do it. But they can actually, I think, remove themselves from the union and be independent country. Who knows? They may try before long. I don't know. But anyway, John had the same group of people. What they did was they seceded from this belief of needing an advocate. They began to tell people, you no longer need an advocate. You're good. You're fine. There's no need for any forgiveness. There's no need for mercy. You don't have to. No, they would create a false doctrine, and these people began to believe it, and they pulled themselves away from the truth. And John wrote this because they tricked and taught people the wrong thing. He said, I want you to know this. You are in the family of God. And because you're in this family, understand that the mercy and the grace of Jesus is so great. He will forgive you no matter what. All you need to do is come back to him and say, Lord, I give you see what I'm, I apologize. It's called repentance. We should do that occasionally with our family. It's admitting to my wife, yeah, I'm sorry, baby, I'm wrong. I hurt you. I'm sorry. I mean, you can tell if your wife is like, you know, not talking to you or there's a tear or if, if, if it's quiet. You can sense the tension in a family, right? You know when something's not right, so what do you do? If you're wise and you're a husband, you go to her and say, I'm sorry. It's the second word you should learn after, or the second phrase you should learn after I love you in a marriage is I'm sorry. It's an important phrase in marriage. And it goes both ways, but it's important for guys to get it. You say, you repent, you just say, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just so John was writing to this church to understand, don't depart from the word of God or from the family. He wanted them to know this, you're still a part of his family. David said something like this. He said, even if I choose to make my bed in hell, you are there. So many times, guys, we, we think that we must ascend to him. We're always thinking about ascension. We're always thinking we must ascend up. I must get up there to him. Do you understand? He descended to the earth. So you would not have to try to ascend so much. He's the one that came down from heaven and gave himself for you so that you could be now a part of the family and not to be so concerned about trying to achieve or be or become. He came so that you could be. And he wants you to know this morning, I just really felt strong in my heart, that if you've ever worried or concerned yourself or asked this question about being in his family, if you have confessed Christ Jesus as Lord, the Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Any man who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the heart man believes, confession is made into righteousness. You, it, it is a matter of believing. I believe in Jesus. Have you confessed he is Lord? Yes, I have. You're in the family. Yeah, but all of my, I got you. You're going to start telling me about the trunk of sin you brought in with you. Okay. If we're going to go down that road, we could all sit down and take an hour or more and compare who's got the biggest trunk out back. For all have sinned and fallen short. of their, you, You're wasting your time comparing your issue. The reality is, if you're a part of the family, you're a part of the family. So Matthew says this about Joseph. And I love this. He says, Matthew 119, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, talking about Mary, he planned to send her away secretly. In other words, he was going to divorce. He's going to 
give her a bill of divorce, he's going to leave her. Even though he's engaged, he wasn't mar- they were just engaged. He planned to send her away secretly, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Watch this, verse 21. For she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, verse 23, the virgin Mary shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which I love this, which translates, God is with us. I love that he did not say, you are with God. Do you understand the difference in the statement? If you are with God, that means you're the one that's leading the relationship. If God is with you, then he's the one that's come here for you. He's with you. And when you're in family, this is what I tell my babies. No matter what, I learned this from, you know, out, out in Texas. You know, they're proud of their stuff out in Texas. But Pastor Robert would say this. And I picked this up years ago, and I started telling my girls this. And I thought it was a wonderful statement. And you say whatever you want to say to your kids. But kids deal with enough issues that go on in life. They deal with enough stuff they hear, social media, trolls on the thing, this and that, kids at school, whatever. They get they have bombarded with enough junk. Family ought to be the place where they know they're secure. So I tell my baby girls, I love you always and forever, no matter what. Even when I make a mistake, Daddy, there's not a mistake you can make that will drive... I will chase you, find you. I will find wherever you go, you are not going to get away from me. Now, I ain't going to drive you nuts. I'm going to be like smothering you, you know, you get your own family. But I'll be around. I'll always be there. Always and forever, no matter what. So when they make mistakes and they're crying or they're upset or whatever's going on, the little one especially, man, she gets, boy, you just look at her the wrong way. She's like, ah. You know, okay, this one's a little different than the other two. I love you. Look at me. I love you always and forever, no matter what. Get over this thing. We're good. We're good. I love you. And there's nothing you're going to do is ever going to change that. Why do I say that? Because you know as well as I do, if you were growing up as a kid, you question sometimes, do they really love me? Everybody does. We all do that in family. We went, well, I don't know, because you make mistakes and you wonder, do I? In the family of God, he loves you always and forever, no matter what. No matter what. And so today I wanted you to hear this and leave this with you. And the whole idea of if you've ever heard about the prodigal son or the, the, the idea of the prodigal son, if you read, you've heard of the story. This whole idea of him, and he decided to go his own way. And his father gave him his inheritance. And the idea was, he, he did his thing. What I love about it, though, is the idea that the dad was sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair waiting for him to come back. And when he sees him, he runs out to meet him. There's a story of the Father of God. That story Jesus gave was not some... He was given a relationship with the Lord and us. You might be a part of the family of God and feel like, man, I don't know if I really fit in his family. Can I just tell you... The only way any of us fit is because of Jesus. But you belong. And he loves you. 
He gave his son this Christmas season for you so that you might know how much he loves you and cares for you and never question because you could never do more for him than what he did for you. Can't, can't do more. So this morning, I'll ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment. And the idea of how much he loves and cares for you, I'm going to pray for you this morning before we go. If you're here and you say, hey, Pastor Jody, you know, I know I'm a Christian, but I've never really thought about this before. I've always just kind of been back and forth about my, my walk with God. I feel like a yo-yo sometimes or a roller coaster. I'm up and down, up and down. And I really need to just pray that prayer again today. And I, I really want to just seal that today, this Christmas. Or maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. You say, I've never accepted Jesus before and I need to be a part of his family and I want to do that right now. Well, we're going to pray the prayer and this whole church will pray together. I'm not going to single you out or call you out. I'm not going to make you come down front or anything else like that. I'm just going to pray for you. But the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. It doesn't take long, but I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this whole church, you're going to pray together right now. If you want to pray that, just pray along. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my life. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. And I accept you as my Savior. In Jesus' name, thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we are so proud of you. Right, church? Would you give me a hand? Those of you watching online as well, man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you. So I want to encourage you in your faith and your walk as you begin this, this walk with God. And if you prayed that prayer, we have a little uh, connect.cornerstonerome.com, a little site there. You can fill out some information. We just want to help you get started walking with God. If you're watching online, it'll be in the tab maybe around your, your chat box, but you can fill that out as well. We just want to help you get started walking with God. Give you some materials if you have need of anything. We just want to help you as you begin this process. I want to encourage you, if you're visiting family members with somewhere else and you're, you're, you're here, I want to encourage you to get in a strong church. Be a part of your local church. If you're part of our church, be strong in your local church. Um, I just believe this is very true. As a believer, you're going to face some things probably in the next season of your life that you're going to need a strong church to be able to stand strong with your kids in. Okay, I don't mean it to fear or anything like that. I'm not afraid. I'm just saying, uh, get in a strong church. Okay, that's a very important thing to do. All right. So before we go, I'd love to speak this over your life. Before we leave, stand to your feet, please. And uh, I'm going to speak this over you before we go. This is found in Numbers chapter six, and this is the the, the verse that uh, the Lord gave Moses to tell Aaron to speak this over the congregation. And so he would do this. And he said, "As you do this, I will bless the people of God." So this is not Jody doing this. Is I'm just trying to do this in, in obedience to the Lord. The scriptures say this in number 624, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace this Christmas season. May- if today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart and that's Jesus. See you next time.